0: Hey there, friends and Vegar mega-fans, welcome. The House of Flying Dragons is now in session. And of course, House of the Dragon is a show about House Targaryen, but really, it's about the Targaryen family. Although a large part of a great house's identity does come from its history, the current members of the family are the actual house for all practical intents and purposes. I thought the most riveting parts of this week's episode were the conversations between two Valerians, Viserys and Rhaenyra, Daemon and Rhaenyra, Lena and Viserys, Rhaenys and Viserys, Rhaenys Rhaenys and Rhaenyra. And Damon and Corliss. Whenever two Dragonlords talk face to face, there's a kind of electricity that recalls John and Danny standing on that ledge overlooking Winterfell before the battle against the White Walkers, which is still my favorite moment of that episode. That's right, when two Dragonlords get to walking and talking, you never know what they might talk about or in what language. Old Nanny Vagar might come up. She sings sad songs sometimes, you guys. Uh, I made this meme about it, but damn. Even dragons get lonely, huh? Gee whiz. In any case, this second episode of House of the Dragon was also packed with my favorite thing, symbolism much of it revolving around blood including the new intro so make sure you're subscribed to the channel it's uh, used to be down here it's moving around these days but it's a big red button please press it and thanks so much to everyone subbing of late so let's talk about the episode of television that so far featured more dragon lord dialogue than any which has come before it We even got two dragons kind of snorting at each other, which is kind of like dialogue, and those dragon keepers continue to be unbelievably cool. All right, it's a new intro. As several quality YouTube channels have already discussed at length, the landscape of this opening sequence is essentially the Valyrian city that Viserys is building, but looking a little more like it would have in old Valyria with black volcanic stone instead of white. It's also operating as a family tree of House Targaryen, beginning with this gear at the top of the Volcano City, depicting the Doom and the flight of Aenar Targaryen and his daughter Danes the Dreamer, and then flowing down to subsequent levels to depict the various generations of House Targaryen. That means that it starts with Aegon and his sisters. That's right, they skip over all the generations before that. (laughs) I feel robbed. And after that, the line passes through Aegon's child with Rhaenys, King Aenys, to his children, Jaharis and Alisan. Their line then splits nine ways to depict their nine children that lived to adulthood, and eventually reaches their grandson, Viserys, the king on the show. But flowing through, these two blood-flooded-out gears to honor Viserys' parents, Balon and Alyssa, who died before their father Jaharis did, and thus were never crowned. Throughout we see the bloodlines of the second sons like Megor the Cruel or Daemon Targaryen or other splinter branches flowing off to the side including the bloodline that will flow from Viserys and his second wife Alicent at the very end. Finally, we see many bloodlines all converging into this pit of fire, with the three-headed dragon of House Targaryen covering it like a sewer grate. That's not a sewer, of course, but some sort of pit of blood and fire that again reminds us that Valyrian cities were built atop volcanoes. As King Viserys tells us in the episode, well, he actually tells Alicent, Instead of his Valyrian daughter, Rhaenyra, but I'll get to that. This was done so that the so-called Lords of Fire could be closer to their source of magic power. Viserys even points out the little tower where the blood mages did their work. (laughs) How nice. So here's what I can bring to the table of analysis, if you will. Because everyone else breaking this intro down pretty much came to the same conclusion about everything that I've told you so far. So, this whole thing reminds me of an altar. The blood flowing down from the top of the volcano and through the city streets is meant to evoke lava, clearly. And shout out to Ted Nasmith's legendary and still unmatched artwork of High Valeria, which I feel like I use in every other video, pretty much. And then at the end, the blood flows back into this central pit of blood and fire. Thus, the Valerians and their Targaryen descendants are implied as people of fire who live in service to the great power that they possess. Now, certainly turning the people into gear which trigger blood flow, is very suggestive of the war and bloodshed that is to come on this show. But this thing really feels more like an altar to me, with the blood running down the channels of some arcane symbol to activate the deep magic. The words of House Targaryen, Fire and Blood, refer to the fact that all Valyrian magic is rooted in blood and fire. So what I'm seeing here is that the entire bloodline of House Targaryen, stretching all the way back to Valyria, is really flowing towards one great act of magic, one grand finale of blood and fire. That can only be the rebirth of Danny's dragons, of course three dragons for the three heads on the sigil, as well as the birth of the prophesied heroes, Daenerys and Jon. Now in the books, there's a thing about three people who will be the three heads of the dragon, and in my opinion, the third head of the dragon and the third dragon rider, assuming Jon rides one, will be Euron, whom I expect to play the top villain role in the books, and of course, if you haven't heard, he's very different in the books. Euron may even become, in some sense, a new leader of the others, or if you prefer, a new knight's king. And do check out to the Euron King of the Apocalypse video, and if you like video titles with lots of apostrophes, Knight's King Crow's Eye. Apostasy in the video, apostrophes in the title. That's how I roll. Now, if there was meant to be a third head of the dragon on the Game of Thrones show, then it would have been the Night King, of course, since he obviously became the third dragon rider. So that's my analysis of the opening symbolism. It's showing how all the Targaryen bloodlines and sacrifice will eventually lead down to the apocalypse and its heroes. That's apparently what the Targaryen royal dynasty in Westeros is officially about, after all, now that we have the reveal of Aegon's prophecy, which is, of course, an idea that came from George and thus can be a Assumed to be true in some form in the books as well, and I'll have a video about that coming shortly. Alright, so moving over to Viserys' model of the Valyrian city, which is supposed to be the capital, by the way, the self-titled Valyria, we have the symbolism of the dropped, broken dragon piece. The first layer of symbolism would appear to be about bloodlines. Alicent can give Viserys a dragon son to heal his broken family and his broken life, to stabilize the succession. Or so Viserys thinks, anyway. And I do think that this symbolism is written like an omen that Viserys is noticing in the scene and which was no doubt intended by Alicent. Now I want to be careful about getting into spoiler territory, but basically everyone knows that A. Viserys is going to marry Alicent and have a male child, and that B. a succession war is eventually going to break out on this show. Thus we can see the obvious foreshadowing that Viserys' choice to marry Alicent may well break House Targaryen, though not so much that it doesn't continue in some form, as we know, but yeah dragons are going to die, both dragons as in dragon people and dragons as in dragon dragons. And they are literally going to fall out of the sky just like the dragon piece, so yeah. Now, there's actually even more detailed foreshadowing here about the sun that Alicent and Viserys will eventually have, but it's pretty spoilery, so I'll save that to the end of the video and then give you a spoiler warning. Now, my old myth friend, Ravenous Reader, and current myth friend, Ravenous Reader, but we go way back, chimes in here with a good insight. The stone dragon piece looks a lot like a Sivass piece, where, of course, the most powerful piece is the dragon, akin to the queen in chess. Now, when Tyrion is teaching young Young Griff, a.k.a. Aegon Blackfyre, a.k.a. Phaegon, My name is Phaegon, a lesson in Syvas in A Dance with Dragons. He finishes off our young mummer's dragon with the line, Keep your dragons close. That, unfortunately, is exactly what King Viserys does not do, keep his dragonlords close. Viserys has allowed his relationships with Daemon, Rhaenys, and Rhaenyra to all fall into disrepair, and as a result seems to be unwilling to use his Dragonlords against the Triarchy. You could really see his look of discomfort in the small council meeting when Rhaenyra said, You have Dragonrider's father. Send us. Now, in this scene with the Valyrian model city that we've been looking at, Viserys is of course spending time bonding with Alicent over Valyrian lore. Elsewhere in the episode, we hear that he barely spends any time at all with his daughter Rhaenyra and doesn't confide in her. Mainly because he's intimidated by her, even to the point that he's more afraid of her than he was of Balerion the Black Dread, as he says in the episode. Viserys is literally standing over this giant Valyrian model city, with a head packed with more Valyrian lore than any living Targaryen, and he's all, "I wish I knew how to talk to Rhaenyra. Like, hello, dude. She's your heir and a dragon rider. Talk to her about Valyrian shit. Mend the relationship with your dragonlord daughter." <laughs> Meanwhile, Viserys has let the wounds of the Great Council of 101 fester between him and his favorite cousin, Princess Rhaenys. You can see that everyone knows it's a lie when Viserys says that line. And of course, many smart people have pointed out that Viserys's wife, Queen Emma Arryn, was also his cousin, so she's probably the favorite cousin, I'm thinking. I mean, is they, right? They slept together, they married one another. Now, I really love the straight talk from Raines and Corliss to Viserys in the garden concerning the weakness in his realm. It's got to sting since it surely reminds Viserys of when Daemon told him that he was weak in the throne room. Raines is a little more tactful, of course, but the thing to remember is that both Daemon and Rainys are dragonlords. Not only are they Viserys' top generals, they're also like independent princes and princesses with their own personal army. So when they say anything serious to Viserys, it carries a lot of weight, and even a very softly implied unspoken threat, in the sense that anyone with a dragon can basically start a rebellion. And we see that exact tension being directly exploited by Damon in the electric Dragonstone Bridge showdown. And this was definitely my favorite scene of the episode. I think most people agree that Damon wasn't actually going to have Caraxes eat Sir Otto and Sir Crispin. I mean, Sir Kristen. Does Damon want to burn Sir Kristen Cole to a crisp? Maybe, maybe. But Damon was really pulling this stunt to get his brother Viserys to come pay attention to him, just as Otto surmised. Sir Otto is kind of a dick, however, and he's actively trying to undermine any remnant of a relationship between Viserys and Damon. So he plays up this basically empty threat to Viserys. Oh, I can't allow that, it's too dangerous. But then quickly calls Damon's bluff simply by showing up to Dragonstone without a dragon in support. Well played, Sir Otto, well played. Except that Sir Otto forgot about and underestimated Rhaenyra, who he'd been pissing off pretty much all episode. Now, I want to talk about Rhaenyra's and every other character's struggle for agency and power on this episode in a different video, as I think that's pretty much the unifying theme of episode two. But suffice it to say that Rhaenyra has grown tired of asking old men for permission, and has realized that if you want political power, you gotta seize it yourself. I really love this writing choice, and I love the cinematography of Rhaenyra and Cyrax's entrance, with the sun shining through the fog above, and then Cyrax bursting up through the fog below. Rhaenyra may not be Viserys's son, but she's very like the sun here, cutting through the posturing and bullshit between Otto and Damon to swiftly and neatly de-escalate and resolve the situation. I did notice that Rhaenyra wore yellow and white a lot in this episode, so I'm not sure if that was on purpose. And of course, Cyrax is called golden in the first scene of the first episode. So there could be ongoing Rhaenyra sun symbolism that they're developing. And that kind of makes sense. Usually the solar figure is the king, but Rhaenyra is the heir and trying to be the first queen. So very like Nymeria of the Roinar, who was associated with the sun, it kind of makes sense to make Rhaenyra a solar figure. And I also noticed, and this, this may be overinterpreting, I don't know, but when Renira was being essentially deceived in the Sept by Alicent, and yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Alicent at some point soon here, I couldn't help but notice that the overhead of the candle altar looked like a solar eclipse. Now, I will definitely plead guilty to having <laughs> sun, moon, and eclipse and comet symbolism always at the forefront of my brain, so I offer it up to you to judge, but yeah... She was being led into darkness in the sense that she was being deceived. And if the idea in the bridge scene is that Rhaenyra is like the sun cutting through the fog because she's gaining power and agency there, well, in this scene, she's essentially losing power and agency by being deceived and, in the end, outmaneuvered by Alicent. Now, getting back to the bridge showdown, Rhaenyra's dialogue with Daemon absolutely was the high point of the episode for me. You're living in my castle, Uncle. That's the sort of line which, you know... Hits a little differently, coming from someone who rides a dragon. Watch out, he's a little protective of me, you guys, so, you know, don't piss him off or anything. Notice how Damon considers and treats Rhaenyra far more like an equal than anyone else there, including his lady Mysaria, whom he didn't even explain his plan to. This scene really did have me on the edge of my couch, even though we had seen so much of it in the various trailers that came out before the show. So, well done, team. Well done. One also can't help but compare and contrast the earlier symbolism of Viserys dropping the dragon piece that represented his bloodline, oh no, to Rhaenyra catching the dragon's egg that Daemon very suddenly tossed at her. This scene is extra pregnant with foreshadowing. I mean, what, does Daemon want to continue the Targaryen bloodline with Rhaenyra? I mean, no, that would be weird. They're uncle and niece, That that couldn't be it. Now, King Viserys may not talk to his daughter, brother, or cousin enough, but he does have a very entertaining Valerian-to-Valerian Valerian conversation with the young Lady Lena Valarion. the low-key star of week two. Now, obviously, there's a commentary and a critique of arranged marriages going on in this scene, and the camera angles are definitely shot to play up the ridiculous height difference of the two second cousins. But setting aside that conversation for another day, and we did go into it in the post game show live stream, I really do like how young Lady Lena has a certain presence here, and I like how they're already building her character. In the books, Lena, even at this age, is similarly supposed to be very into dragons, and she loves to fly. Them when she eventually does bond with one, although I won't spoil which one in case anyone doesn't know. So, it was very appropriate that her very first line of dialogue and the first words that she spoke to Viserys, in what was no doubt an awkward and pressure filled situation for her, a 12 year old princess, was to ask Viserys about what was it like flying the Black Dread? You, Valerian's lost rider? Only for a short time, before he died. With Valerian, died the last memory of Valyria of old. I really loved that. I mean, so much character is established in that one line. And overall, I thought Lena was written to be just the right mix of childlike and curious, as a 12-year-old who loves dragons would be, but also impressively composed and poised, as the daughter of Corlys and Raines would be. And how about that dragon lore info bomb that she and Viserys dropped on us? I mean, damn, Vagar is... Too big for the dragon pit. But Vagar still lives. somewhere. But too large for the dragon pit. Some would say too large for our world. It's like damn near poetry right there. And so the dragon keepers think that Vegar's roosting on some uninhabited island somewhere in the narrow sea. How cool is that? Lena adds that sailors from Spicetown report hearing her sad song and. geez, man. It's almost sad enough to get me to stop doing Vegar memes. Uh, but not quite. Anyway, it made sense to have the conversation between these two in a garden, as they're speaking of renewing the line and the future and those sorts of fertility-related ideas. Of course, the King's Landing Garden is also where a lot of treasons and treacherous plots are grown. And of course, this entire thing amounts to a political power play by Corlys and Rhaenys. The other two Dragonlord to Dragonlord conversations were no less riveting, and those were the ones between Rhaenys and Rhaenyra, and Daemon and Corlys. Now, Rhaenyra's conversation with Rainys was really a pivotal moment in Rhaenyra's arc for the episode, and in her plot for the season overall, I think. And so actually, I'd like to save that one for the video I'm going to do about the struggle for power, and agency. It's kind of one of the centerpieces of that so we'll break it down in full next time and the same goes for Damon's conversation with Corliss where they're essentially defining that idea of people who are on the outside and having to struggle to break through and get a seat at the table. Finally we have the symbolism of Viserys's worsening health. That's right, uh, essentially what's going on here is that the Iron Throne Functions kind of like an oracle, and it cuts those who aren't worthy in some fashion, whether they're not the legitimate monarch, such as in Joffrey's case, or just when the monarch is making a critical error, such as when Viserys exiled his brother Daemon in the first episode. That's when Viserys cut his pinky finger, and noticed that Daemon was telling his brother that he should have made him his hand of the king. Instead, he has the rotten Sir Otto's hand, and so Viserys cuts his hand. And then his finger rots. It's symbolism, people. Then Otto advises Viserys to put his rotten hand into a bowl of maggots to consume the corruption. But this likely depicts all the treacherous advisors feeding and preying on the king, Sir Otto chief among them. You're weak, Viserys. And that council of leeches knows it. They all prey on you for their own ends. Now, the Jericho17 on YouTube, shoutout, had some observations about Viserys' cuts as meta-commentary that I wanted to share. He pointed out that in episode 1, Viserys' back wound is, quote, a wound that refuses to heal, which... Would seem to allude to the festering issue of a looming succession crisis, one which goes back to rainies and the Great Council. Then, when the maesters suggest cauterization, which will be painful, that could allude to the dance itself, which is so full of dragonfire and pain. I would also add that that could be a clue about the maesters having a conspiracy to Provoke Dragonlord infighting, and of course check out the Anti-Dragon Maester Conspiracy part 1 and 2, although part 2 will have fire and blood spoilers. Now think back to the Valyrian city from the intro credits being like a blood altar upon which the Targaryen family has been sacrificed. The Iron Throne has the same symbolism and the same message. It's a blood altar which more or less consumes the monarch who sits upon it. Especially if they show any sign of weakness or fault. Take a look at this art of Magor dying upon the blades of the Iron Throne by Michael Comarch and you can see just what I mean. And even the Greenseer thrones work this way too, where the Greenseer is actually consumed body and soul by the trees in order to tap into their power. Ultimately, with all this Iron Throne wounding the king stuff, George is working with the folkloric Arthurian idea of a king, which is something like, the king is the land. You see this idea throughout Fisher King and Grail King mythology, of course. But it's even more widespread than that, and the idea is that the health of the land is reflected in the monarch, and vice versa. Everything that we've just spoken of regarding Viserys' injuries from the throne symbolizing the decline of his rule works on this exact principle. His first injury, by the way, is on his back, close to the spine, most likely symbolizing Viserys' anti-confrontational nature, his lack of spine. That's definitely where the trouble started. That's how Viserys found himself being eaten alive by maggots. Okay, so here is that last little spoilery tidbit. So if you don't want to be spoiled, fire and blood. If you don't want to hear about stuff that's going to happen on the show eventually in some form, now's the time to take off. And please do check out the House of the Dragon playlist. All right, is everybody gone? Are we we alone? Just you and me? All right, so the broken dragon piece. Think about Viserys and Alicent's son, Aegon II, as a broken and repaired dragon. He's broken in the Battle of Rook's Rest and then hides for about a year from the public eye while recovering and maybe sort of losing himself to the milk of the poppy a little. Then he regains some amount of vitality and gumption and takes the power back, claiming the throne and seemingly winning the war against Rhaenyra, only to be assassinated shortly after, of course. Now, best of all, Aegon II's dragon Sunfire specifically damages one wing to the point where Sunfire can't fly for a while. And, of course, the dragon piece breaks at the wing. Pretty great stuff, if that's what was intended. Alright, there you have it, folks. The symbolism breakdown for Week 2 of House of the Dragon with an eye towards Dragon Lore Dialogue. I'll see you back in a couple of days with another House of the Dragon video, so make sure your subscription bell is set to all notifications so you never miss a video or live stream. Cheers, everyone, and remember, keep your dragon balls close.